everyone, and welcome to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick Podcast. I'm your host, Nina Spears, the Baby Chick, and today I am back with Dr. Amy Ketchum, a pediatric occupational therapist and owner of Amy's Babies, a child development company. Dr. Ketchum is the creator of STEM Starts Now, a digital subscription program for parents of young children to help with early childhood development and kindergarten readiness. Dr. Ketchum currently practices in a neonatal intensive care unit at UPMC Hospital in Lidditz, Pennsylvania, and has also spent several years working in early intervention and with young school-aged children in the school setting. She has a wealth of knowledge and experience, and we're excited to have her with us today. Today's episode is all about the NICU and what parents need to know if their new baby ever has to go to the NICU. As a NICU occupational therapist for years, Dr. Ketchum is breaking it all down for us and giving us parents all the details on what we need to know should our babies ever have to be in the NICU. Welcome, Amy. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Well, we are thrilled to have you back. I know that last time we had you, we talked all about STEM. And this time, we wanted to talk to you particularly about the NICU because you have been working in the NICU for many years. Yeah, about six years I've been practicing in the NICU. I've been working in pediatrics pretty much my whole career, but focusing in on the NICU for about the last six years. Ah, so wonderful. And that's why we thought you would be an amazing person to chat with because I was just saying to you earlier before we started recording that I have a couple of family members and friends who have recently had their babies in in the NICU, and it can be really really scary, not knowing what to expect or what's normal. And just to be able to get that reassurance, hearing these stories beforehand can really help a parent. So we are so thrilled to have you and to pick your brain all about the NICU if you're up for it. That's great. I think education is empowering. So I think it's really important. I love it. Awesome. Okay. So our first question for you, Dr. Ketchum, is can you explain what the NICU is and who works in the NICU? Like what are their jobs and roles for each person? The NICU is the neonatal intensive care unit, and it's where we take babies when they're first born, when they need any sort of higher level medical care. So when you go into the NICU, you'll see several different professionals. You'll see lots of nurses that are highly, highly skilled. The neonatologist is the doctor that works in the NICU that is specializes in babies and preterm babies. And you'll see therapists, usually occupational therapists, physical therapists, speech therapists, and respiratory therapists. Now we all have our different roles. I actually work in a very small NICU. We only have 10 beds. So I'm actually the only therapist. We don't have physical therapy or speech therapy in my NICU. I sort of cover everything, which is not uncommon for a smaller NICU. Respiratory therapists are always in NICUs because they are involved if a baby needs any oxygen support. But basically, as far as the different roles with the different therapies, speech and OT would do more of the feeding. Physical therapy would do more of the splinting or actual physical modalities and things like that. But there's definitely a huge overlap amongst the therapists in the NICU. You'll sometimes see pediatricians in the NICU as well, but those are sort of the the main players that you'll see in the NICU. 
Okay. Oh, that is so helpful. So my question is for parents, when would their child be transferred to the NICU or why? What are reasons for their babies to be transferred to the NICU? How old are these babies that you can expect seeing there if your child has to go, the other parents or babies that you're seeing, just so then people can have an idea of, oh, this might be a reason why my child might need to go to the NICU or and the age range between the different children that are admitted. It can be a variety of reasons. The most common reason is preterm babies. If they're born early, usually Usually we end up having babies in the NICU if they're born before 36 weeks. Sometimes sometimes babies at 36 weeks don't even need the NICU. Sometimes it's 35 weeks or earlier. So it's definitely the premature babies. Babies that need any sort of often if they need a lot of blood work done or if they need to go on antibiotics, babies that might be born with meconium, which is the reason my daughter was in the NICU, babies that have a lot of times, if they have uh, respiratory distress, if we need to rule out sepsis, babies that maybe have Down syndrome or were born with other issues, congenital issues, heart issues. Larger hospitals would take babies that need any sort of surgeries, heart surgeries, things like that. Sometimes we have babies in the NICU just because they're jaundice and they have to go under the bilirubin, under the lights for their bilirubin levels. It could be that they have low blood sugar. So they just come in to be observed and have their blood taken and sort of monitor their blood sugar. So it can really be a variety of reasons. We are getting babies now with COVID, so it can really be a variety. We also have babies that are born addicted to substances. So yeah, babies born addicted to to drugs or, or things like that will come into the NICU to wean off, to go through the process of weaning. So it can be a variety. It sure can. Oh my gosh. And my heart literally just like, oh, like cries for each and every one because all every parent wants is just their baby to be healthy and perfect. And so going to the NICU, thank goodness you guys are there to help our babies thrive and, and, you know, do better. So, uh, but oh my gosh. I always assure parents that they're in the right place and they're getting the help and the care that they need. So it's a good thing to have to be in there and get that sort of attention. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So what can parents expect when their baby is transferred to the NICU? What does that process look like? So for a preterm baby or a baby born in any sort of respiratory distress or distress at birth, they'll, they'll be taken into the NICU pretty quickly. They'll pretty much go right in while mom's still recovering from birth or C-section. The first thing we want to do when we get a baby into the NICU is make sure that they're warm. So we'll get them in the incubator or the isolate start monitoring their temperature. We hook up all the monitoring so that we're monitoring their heart rate, their respiration rate, the amount of oxygen in their blood. If they're having any difficulty breathing, we'll get oxygen therapy in there immediately to get them on oxygen or whatever's needed there. We take blood samples. It's a lot of assessing the baby when they first come in. Once we have the baby stable and breathing through other means of oxygen or breathing on their own, then our next goal is to feed the baby, whether it's through a tube up their nose or down their, in their mouth, down their throat. It's called an NG tube or an OG tube. Then we feed the baby, or if we can just feed them orally, that's great too. So those are sort of some of the first things that we do when they get admitted. 
great. And that kind of answers my next question for you, which was, what are some normal procedures and routines that occur in the NICU? Is there anything else that parents need to know in regards to that? Well, those are the things that we do right upon admission. Once the baby is settled and admitted, then we let parents come in and be with the baby. We really encourage that. We want kangaroo care. We want that skin-on-skin contact, which we can talk more about. But once the baby is settled in the NICU, we put them on a schedule because we really try to protect their sleep in the NICU. So Babies are typically on a three-hour schedule where we wake them up and do their cares or we change their diaper and feed them and do their blood work and whatever needs to be done every three hours. So they're either on the 6, 9, 12, and 3 schedule or the 8, 8 o'clock, 11, 2, and 5. So we put them on a three-hour schedule. Some babies might be on a four-hour schedule if they're very fragile and we want to disturb them less often. And during that time where they're sleeping, we really try to preserve their sleep. We don't do hands-on during that time. We try to keep the hands-on care to those care times throughout the day. So we try to sort of make parents aware of that schedule, like, hey, you may want to come in at noon because that's when we'll be waking up the baby and doing the cares and feeding the baby. So come back at three o'clock and that's how we try to make sure that the baby gets their sleep and rest because that's when they heal and gain weight and that's the goal to go home. Yes. As a postpartum doula, I've had particularly my moms of multiples. Some of them have had to have their babies in the NICU for a little bit. And one thing that always was kind of nice about you know them being in the NICU is that ba- the babies, when they came home, they were already on such a great schedule. Yes. <laughs> so, so that was kind of helpful. And parents also just felt so much more confident because they really got to see how you guys work with the babies and even when they're so little and delicate. And it gives them that confidence of being able to do that at home. So that's such a wonderful thing. Right. Yeah, that is really some good benefits to having a baby spend some time in the NICU for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some things that you kind of touched on this with the skin to skin? I'm sure this is one of them. But what are some of the things that you love seeing parents do with their babies in the NICU? Well, there's a whole list of things. I really love when parents spend a lot of time there. I love when they do hands-on when they're comfortable with putting their hands either in the incubator, on the baby, holding the baby, cuddling the baby, doing kangaroo care, skin to skin. That is so important. Some of the other things that parents might not think about is just talking to the baby, letting the baby hear their voice, talking through if the baby's in the isolate and can't come out, opening the little window and talking to the baby, reading to the baby, singing to the baby. I love all that and I encourage it. I keep little board books at every bedside so parents have that opportunity to interact with the baby because if they talk, obviously, while they were pregnant, maybe read to the baby, sang to the baby while in utero, the baby does recognize mom's voice and is calmed by that. Studies show that as early as one day after birth, babies do show recognition to mom's voice. So we definitely do encourage that. I also like when parents kind of personalize the space. I like when they bring in pictures of siblings and stuffed animals that they might put on the shelf around the isolate and things like that because it makes it feel a little cozier and they kind of take ownership of the space and that their baby is there and it could be a long time. So I also really like that too. Those are wonderful things. Oh, man. And I'm sure you guys encourage and kind of tell them those things because maybe not every parent knows exactly what they can do to, you know, bond with their little one. 
Right. It's such a sterile environment. It feels counterintuitive to bring in stuffed animals and bring in different things, but we definitely encourage it, especially we usually have little tiny blankets that we have mom sort of tuck into her shirt or sleep with when she's home. And then we leave it in the isolate with the baby when mom can't be there so that the baby's smells mom's scent and is calmed by that. And it also becomes more familiar. So that's another great thing for creating that bond as well. Yeah. And you mentioned that you really like it when the parents are there frequently. What would you kind of term that as frequently? Because I know that you also said, you know, sleep is really important. So you'll tell them to come back at a certain time. So what is too much like no parents, you need to also take care of you, but also like a good, a good balance of being there for the child? Yeah, that's a really good question. Because it is so important that parents take care of themselves first. And I've had parents that literally spend all night long sitting in the NICU next to their baby. And it's important that they get some rest and do take care of themselves first. I think the most important time to be there is during the day, during care times, so that they have practiced feeding their baby and changing the diaper with supervision from the nurses and therapists and whatever needs to be done, managing the care of the baby while there's someone there to help. They could take advantage of the lactation consultants, you know, if they're there during the day when when those professionals are also in the building. So I'd say definitely try to be there during a couple of the care times throughout the day. It's not necessary to sleep in the chair beside the baby all night long. It's really important that parents go home and get their own rest and take care of their needs as well. And they may have other children at home too. That So I, I often see parents that are kind of pulled in two directions and I see them paying a big emotional price for that. But I tell them your baby is in good hands and you need to get some rest and care for yourself as well. So it's kind of a balance for sure. Yeah. And I can imagine thinking about, oh, if that was my baby, you can just, I would feel so guilty leaving them. Like, oh, like if I'm leaving you, it means that I I don't want you to think I don't care or I don't want to be here. So I I get that. But hearing you say that, giving parents basically permission to say, it's okay for you to step away, to get some food, take a shower, get some rest, and then come back. That's what we're here for is to to help your babies thrive. So I, I really love it. And appreciate you saying that because that I can imagine the parents who are listening to this who, if they ever have to have their baby in the NICU, that just gives them, again, the permission to take care of themselves too. Mm -hmm. It's so important. And I feel like as a therapist in the NICU, I kind of take care of the parents as much as I take care of the baby (laughs) because it's a stressful place to be. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So Dr. Ketchum, what are some of the things that parents can do? I mean, you listed like a plethora of things, which is wonderful. But what are some particular things that you would like to share with us that parents can do to really help their babies thrive in the NICU? So the one thing I teach the parents on day one is we call it containment therapy. And we start this immediately, even before we can take the babies out of the incubators. And it's just basically what it sounds like. We put our hands through the holes and we put, we sort of gather up the baby into that fetal position, crisscross the arms over the chest, crisscross the ankles and bring their knees up and just hold them with our hands in that position so that they feel that contained, comfortable position like they felt in utero. And that's really important because they just went from a warm, very contained environment 
to a place where they often don't have that containment around them anymore, especially a baby that we can't swaddle because of medical needs or because of the leads and all of the monitors. So it's really important that we show parents how to do that containment. And that's a way that parents can be involved in the care of the baby, even if they're very medically fragile, because we don't want babies to be having reflexes that bring them out of that fetal position. So when you see babies that are sort of flailing all around and having the startle reflex and arms and legs flailing, they're burning calories unnecessarily that they need to store so they can gain weight and go home. So just by, even when the nurses are maybe drawing blood or changing the OG tube or something like that, I sort of show parents how to put their hands in and contain the baby and hold them there comfortably while they're getting medical procedures or cares done so that they can keep them in that position. Babies will tell us if they're overstimulated. A lot of times preterm babies can't cry yet because they don't have the energy to do that, but they will show us through other means. Babies will sometimes extend their hand, their arms straight out and kind of splay their fingers. That's a sign of overstimulation. They might put their legs straight out. We call that walking on air, kind of like they're kicking in water. That's a sign. Babies will turn their head away from you or away from the light or whatever stimulation. That can tell us that they're overstimulated. And babies might also excessively hiccup, yawn, or sneeze. And those are all signs that they're just getting too much information and getting overwhelmed. Their heart rate will start to rise. Their respirations will rise and become more shallow. So we try to avoid all that by doing this containment therapy so it keeps them in a more comfortable position. So I definitely educate parents on all that right away and try to tell them that especially for preterm babies or very sensitive babies, we really want to only give one sort of stimulation at a time. So we try to keep the lights dim. If we're touching the baby, we try not to talk to the baby because that's too much for the baby to process. If we're moving the baby, we'll turn the lights off so they're not visually stimulated at the same time. While we encourage talking to the baby, a lot of times we'll tell parents, don't talk to the baby till you have them in a comfortable kangaroo care position or something. So we don't want to give them too much stimulation at once. Because like I said, they will let us know. But that's sort of the biggest thing that we do earliest on that helps babies thrive. Very cool and super helpful. And it makes complete sense. I tell my parents, not my parents, but the parents that I work with, those are definitely signs to look out for, you know, the hiccuping, the sneezing, the basically the hands out, stretching out, almost saying like stop or turning their head away, saying it's, it's just too much. So right. <laughs> I, I love that you go over all of these things because yes, obviously the big thing is for them to grow and gain weight and to graduate from the NICU, which brings me to my next question. I mean, for you and what you've seen at your hospital, what's like the long longest or shortest stay that parents can expect their babies to be in the NICU? Oh, that varies so much. I, I mean, can imagine. <laughs> yeah. It, it can be one day or it could be several months. So it really, really varies. Some of the bigger hospitals, it could be up to a year if they're having a lot of surgeries or things like that. So 
So it definitely varies depending on the situation. Typically, if it's a baby born addicted to substances, it's about one to three months. If it's a preterm baby, it just depends how early they were born. We like to get them close to their due date before they go home. We have sort of a whole formula of things that they need to pass, little tests and little things before they go home. So they have to not have alarms for a certain period of days. They have to be eating on their own. They have to pass a car seat test, make sure that they're safe in their car seat. We hook them up to the monitors and put them in the car seat for 90 minutes to two hours and make sure that they're safe that way. So there's there's a bunch of things depending on the situation. The reason why I ask that is I think parents may think, oh, well, I should only be in here for a couple of weeks or months. And so if their babies stay a little bit longer, they may think that that's abnormal. So I I wanted you to say that so then they know that it's okay whether your baby stays there for a day or a year that you are not the only parent who's experienced that. And, and those are things that are normal depending on what your child is experiencing. Absolutely. For sure. And so you brought up also, Dr. Ketchum, and I really want to know because I'm fascinated that some of the babies are being born positive with COVID. What does that look like? And how long is that treatment? And how are babies doing with all of that? It's such a new thing. We don't have a lot of data or research yet. What we're seeing anecdotally is babies are typically doing pretty well. They might have a little bit of respiratory distress, but are recovering pretty quickly and going home pretty quickly. We've had several moms that are COVID positive in our hospital. And most of the babies, we take them immediately after birth and bring them to the NICU or separate them from the mom. And they, for the most part, do not end up COVID positive. So it's important, I think, to separate the babies the parents can override that. They can choose to keep their babies with them, even if the parents are COVID positive. We recommend that they separate the baby. And they're generally doing well. We do have the mom pump, even if she's COVID positive, and we do give the baby the breast milk. The evidence shows that that is still beneficial and that they're not catching COVID through the breast milk. So we still do that. I know in different parts of the country, the numbers are very different. We've had minimal numbers in our NICU to date. And typically they're recovering pretty well. Right. Okay. Can you explain to us why you guys recommend for the baby and mother to be separated if the mother is COVID positive? Because you're right. People have been saying that the World Health Organization, all these organizations have been saying that the mother does not need to be separated if you request it. So I think a lot of moms that I've worked with are like, yeah, they're not positive, but they said that if they were, that they would request not to be. So can you, as a professional, explain to us why there would be a benefit um, and and why it's a good thing to, to do that separation? Oh, it's simply so that we protect the baby from contracting the COVID from the mom. If mom is positive, obviously it's going to be in her droplets that she breathes out. So to care for a baby, even if mom's wearing a mask, obviously you have very close proximity to the baby. So it's just higher risk that the baby would contract the COVID. And since there isn't data, there's not a lot of information on how all babies do and recover. We just want to keep the baby as healthy as possible, especially if they are born with any sort of compromise or respiratory distress. It's just hard to know how it would affect the baby. Right. And how long of a separation do you recommend? 
It depends on the case. It depends on when the mom started the symptoms. I think the latest recommendation from from the CDC is 10 days. They were saying 14 days, but I think now they're saying 10 days, but I would have to double check that from when the fever subsides. They're not even now recommending a second COVID test. According to my hospital, they're just going by time. So it's based on time from the symptoms and from the fever subsiding. And I think at this point it's 10 days. Yeah. And I appreciate you entertaining my questions because I that was off our original question list, but it's so <laughs> relevant right now. And I think parents want to know. So that's why I was like, oh, we, we have to cover this. Yes. So yeah. thank you so much. My next question for you is, as a NICU occupational therapist, what do you wish parents knew or understood about your job and or about the babies in the NICU? I usually tell parents that In most cases, babies are not as fragile as they think. They're usually scared to touch the baby. They're scared to feed the baby. But I want them to touch the baby. I want them to interact with the baby and learn to feed the baby. So I really try to put them at ease and let them understand that the baby can be touched and benefits from being touched and held and stroked and that those things are really, really important. I'm certified in newborn massage, so that's a big thing in our NICU. I teach all parents how to do massage on their baby, and some parents are even hesitant to do that. They tell me they're scared they're going to break the baby or something along those lines, but babies benefit from that touch. And they even can tolerate touch to their scalp and, you know, their face. And it's, it's really good for them. So I definitely encourage parents to touch the babies and to realize that they're not as fragile as they think they are. They're more resilient than they think. I love that. And I agree. I also got my certification as an infant massage instructor. So I love that you do that in the NICU because it, it's true. So many benefits. Babies thrive so much more. Their muscles get stronger. They're able to absorb more of those nutrients. I mean, I just, I love that. That's so awesome. Yeah. So what is it that you want the parents to know about your job? Because they might be like, oh, well, you're not the nurse. You're an ocu- mm-hmm. You're the occupational therapist. So what do you want parents to know about your particular role. Right. That's something I always explain because it's confusing. Why would an occupational therapist need to be in a NICU? (laughs) Because babies (laughs) don't have jobs. But what I explain to parents is my role in the NICU or most therapists role in the NICU is to, we do a lot of education with the family. So, you know, we do teach how to handle and how to hold the baby. We We teach about the overstimulation. Our job is to make sure that the baby is regulated and starts learning self regulation. So we start teaching that and teaching the parents how to do that. Um, we talk a lot about, about, like I said, all of those signs of overstimulation, how to do the containment therapy, kangaroo care. I teach the baby massage. If a baby is born with some reason that they would need splinting, I make splints for hands and feet. Sometimes we do taping. If they need like a club foot or something like that, we might do taping on a baby to start normalizing those types of things. My primary job really is feeding, and that's what I spend the most time on in the NICU. And of course, nurses address do feeding and address feeding as well. But some babies that are more challenging with feeding, I spend a lot of time working with parents with the feeding. And I think people think it just comes natural, like a baby's just going to latch on and start to suck. But it's not, it does not come natural. Babies born with any sort of deficits or born preterm often have a really difficult time with feeding. Feeding 
to suck, swallow, and breathe and have that nice suck, swallow, breathe pattern as opposed to like suck, 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 pant, 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 try to catch the breath. It requires seven cranial nerves, seven cervical nerves, two thoracic nerves, and 31 muscles of the face, neck, and throat. So it's a lot to coordinate for a little four-pound baby. (laughs) So that's probably the biggest thing. We do a lot with different positioning, trying out different bottle nipples, different ways of stimulating suck, especially babies that are so preterm, they don't have a suck reflex yet. Usually preterms baby, they don't root. So there might not be a gag reflex. So we may need to position them in a safe way that they could clear their airway. It's just a lot of assessing the baby and then teaching the parents and nurses how to best feed and facilitate that early feeding. What an important job and how wonderful that your patients get you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I just feel like normally people just assume, oh, these are just all nurses. But when they really understand the training and the knowledge and support that you offer these precious little angels, it's just, it's wonderful. So that's amazing. Thank you so much for what you do. You're very sweet. I love what I do. Thank you for saying that. I I can tell. And that's why we love chatting with you. (laughs) (laughs) So Amy, what are your tips for parents to help them themselves through this difficult time when their babies are in the NICU? I always tell parents, number one, to just trust the process, trust the doctors, nurses, and therapists, know that their baby's in the best place be present in the moment. They can still bond with their baby, even if they're in a NICU. It may not be what they envisioned and what they hoped for, but they can still bond and still start that connection with their baby. I also encourage parents to really rely on friends and family. Ask for help, especially if they have other children at home. It's a difficult time. And as a mom who's been through it myself and work with so many moms in the NICU, I know how overwhelming it can be. And don't ever beat yourself up about it. It's never anything that that the mom did. It's just the situation, how the baby was born and what sort of support that they need. I'll often tell people, parents will sometimes confide in me what their biggest challenges are. And whatever it is, I try to get them to rely on friends and family to help them meet these needs. For example, I had a dad the other day saying they live far from the hospital and the price of gas and it was starting to get stressful, transportation to the hospital. And I said, next time a friend or family says, what can I do for you? Ask for a gas card. These simple, simple things. A friend can pack a lunch and drop it off at the NICU for you. There's lots of support and often friends and family don't really know what to do because it's not like the baby's at home and they can just bring over a meal. There's nothing wrong with that, but just checking in. I encourage parents to ask their friends, you know, just text me throughout the day, see if I need anything. They might find they need nursing pads or something delivered to the hospital for them. So, you know, I really encourage them to lean on family and friends and also have a support network in place for when they bring the baby home because that's sometimes a difficult transition as well. Yeah, absolutely. You just want to take 
all of you with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Take that You're like, wait, no, I, I, you guys need to come home with me. And yeah. <laughs> we get that a lot. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. What you were talking about actually kind of goes into my next question. So what are some things that other parents, like other people need to understand about the families who have their babies in the NICU that yes, you can still help. You gave some great ideas of how they can help those parents, but what do they really need to understand about these families who have their babies in the NICU? I just actually just wrote an article about that for Baby Chick. I'll highlight some of the things that I discussed in the article. Basically, you know, if you have a friend who has a baby who's still in the NICU, they definitely need a lot of support. They're not home resting while their baby is in the NICU. They're probably at the NICU sitting at the baby's bedside. So it can be really challenging if they have other children at home. So I'd say the biggest thing, offer to watch other children, offer to help with transportation. If they're just had a C-section and maybe can't drive yet, offer to drive them to the hospital. You can offer to pick up groceries, run to the pharmacy, whatever's needed. Some other things, it's just be aware that it's very overwhelming and they might just need someone to talk to. It can also be very scary if their baby's getting, having to get procedures done. So just lending a sympathetic ear could be a really good way to support a family that has a baby in the NICU. When they do bring the baby home, just know that friends may want to be anxious to go see the baby, but just remember they've just come from a very sterile environment into the world world. And that can be anxiety producing for the parents. So maybe, you know, show your support from afar. (laughs) You can still bring meals, but maybe just leave them on the front porch, do a Zoom call or whatever, especially right now during COVID. Don't expect to be able to hold the baby for, for a little while. It can go on. Like oftentimes parents bring their babies home and continue to have to go to lots of appointments and maybe have to have therapy come into the home. So continue to be supportive, offering to watch other children, bring meals, provide transportation, because it's not always just when the mom or dad brings the baby home that it's all behind them. It can continue to have fears and anxieties and and a lot of medical needs, depending on what the situation is, why the baby was in the NICU in the first place. So those are some of my biggest tips. Sometimes parents have a preterm baby that they weren't prepared for. So ask, do you need a car seat? Do you have all your baby clothes yet? You know, maybe help fill some of those needs. And also if it is a preterm baby, to really think long-term that they're not going to meet developmental milestones as a typically developing baby would. There's that adjusted age period. So, you know, it might might not be till 20 months till a child starts walking when they were born three months early. So a good friend really celebrates those milestones with the parents, you know, not, oh, they're finally walking, but instead, that's so great. They're already walking after being born at just three pounds, you know, so really celebrating those milestones with those parents as well. I love that. Oh my goodness. I have a dear friend, one of my best friends. She gave birth to her daughter at 30 weeks and Mm. she feels that way. Her daughter will be turning two but that's adjusted age. Um, you know, she, she should have been, uh, her birthday should have been in January, but she goes through that. She goes, people really expect her to be doing certain things and she's just this dainty little angel and, you know, it, it can be tough on those, those moms. So I love that piece of advice that you just shared. 
Yeah, it's so important. I've done, I've done, I've worked a lot in early intervention and and have done home care. And parents are thrilled and elated when their two year old takes the first step. But often, other family, distant family members and friends could be well intentioned, but but say some hurtful things because they just don't realize that that delay is is perfectly typical and expected. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, This is awesome. Okay. So Dr. Ketchum, do you have any final thoughts or words of advice for for parents? There is a really good book that I want to recommend. It's called Early by Sarah DeGregorio. And she's she's a journalist that had a baby in the NICU. So if you're just sort of curious about NICUs and preterm. And I think the book is really good. It's called Early. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it for a mom who's pregnant or currently has a baby in the NICU because it does go into a great deal of detail. But if you're just if you're just curious in general, it's a really fascinating book. It, it goes into a lot of statistics and just information about primarily preterm babies and how they're taken care of in America. But that I think is really interesting, especially for healthcare professionals, because I learned a lot reading that book. Just from her point of view, it has changed how I interact with parents a little bit. Just you know, reading such a candid portrayal of what her experience was with her with her baby in a NICU. So, for whatever it's worth, I think that's a really good book. But yeah, that's kind of my only piece of advice other than just to trust the process and trust the professionals. And as always, talk, read, sing to your baby. (laughs) I love it. No, that's perfect. And we'll make sure you guys to list a link to the book that Dr. Ketchum just recommended if you are interested in learning more about NICU babies. So early. Awesome. We'll, We'll be sure to link that. Yeah, it goes into the history of NICUs and everything. I found it fascinating. Very cool. Very cool. Okay, well, thank you so much again for joining us today, Amy. This just means the world to us. And this information that you have shared is is incredible. So I know it's going to be helping some families out there. And can you just tell our listeners where they can find you and learn more about you and your services? Yeah. Amy Ketchum. My website is stemstartsnow.com. And that's my parent education online program. And we do have resources for preterm babies and NICU babies in the STEM Starts Now program. It's just stemstartsnow.com. And I also have, through that website, you could contact me directly if anyone has any questions or follow-up thoughts or anything like that. I'd love to hear from you. I love it. Perfect. Thank you so much. And for our listeners, thank you guys for tuning in. If you have ever had a child in the NICU, we would be honored to hear your words of advice as well. You can share with us by going on our Facebook page where we'll be posting today's episode. We'll also be answering everyone's questions in the comments. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts.